Thanks, Tom. It's, uh, it's quite hot, isn't it, in here? These, uh, these air conditioning units aren't working. That's part of the problem. <laughs> Thank you. Um, I, my wife sat at the back in the balcony wondering whether these windows are going to open any wider. And she's going to come down while I talk and test that out. So, um, yeah, thank you, Tom. Thank you for the, for the privilege of being able to talk this morning. Uh, so, hello to all of you. Hello to all of you at home. My, which, which one is that? Anyway. Um, um, I want to get straight into this reading a little bit, the, 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 the passage. So if you can just take a moment to imagine your own funny anecdote that I've told. Um, imagine I've told a funny anecdote that's been engaging, warmed you up, got you in the mood to hear a bit more. Do that now. Okay, and um, if, if at the end you can tie it into the sermon, once you've heard the sermon, that'd be really good as well. Okay. Um, there's a lot. There's a lot in this uh, passage. There's a lot in this passage, and it's difficult to talk about one bit of the Bible without talking about the whole Bible. Um, there's lots of themes running running here. The kingdom of God is a big theme. The, our identity in Christ is a big theme. There'll be things that that maybe I don't have time to say, but that will um, hopefully um, uh, be in your minds. I'm going to put my stopwatch on as a sort of uh, pretense that I'm going to take any notice of it. Uh, so this is um, the fourth of a series of seven uh, letters to, um, to the churches. Um, we've got a map, I think, of the seven churches. And uh, Thyatira is in red. And so that's in modern-day Turkey, all those churches. Um, the main teaching points I want to, um, to try and communicate, I'll tell you them now in case it's not clear while I'm talking what they are. Um, first of all, we need to read the Bible carefully. Second, that false teaching is closely linked to idolatry because it's about making your own rules. And this, uh, this letter is all about false teaching. Before we get to the reading, uh, there are three quick things I want to say about reading Revelation. First of all, is genre. Second is about hyperlinks, and third is about language. So, genre first. If we can have the next slide, uh, Barry, that'd be great. Thank you. So, Reve so Revelation is is apocalyptic literature. It's a genre. And when we go on Netflix, or we go on iPlayer, or we go on Sky, or whatever we've got at home, it, we get a choice, don't we, of, of categories or genres, action, thriller, kids, whatever. And that sets us up to think about what we're going to see next. And the Bible's full of genres, and so the genre of Revelation is apocalyptic literature. Unfortunately, we don't have an equivalent in our culture, so it's quite a hard one for us to get our heads around. But the characteristics of apocalyptic literature... Um, are an apocalypse, apocalypse means revelation, doesn't mean the end of the world, it means revelation. It derives its style from Old Testament prophecy. It's complex, it's many layered, it uses biblical imagery. It gives us a theological insight into what's happening in history. So it's not about the end of the world, it's about what's happening now, but it's a peep behind the curtain. It uses symbols to represent nations and powers, and it's not, with a capital not, to be taken literally, nor is it to be used to work out exactly when Jesus is coming back. That's not what it was written for. It's not what it can do. 
It's very similar language to the book of Daniel, which is also apocalyptic literature, so the book of Daniel in the Old Testament. And when you hear that, you're supposed to think, Daniel, what's that about? That's about nations, that's about empires, that's like living in exile, that's about how do I cope in a different culture? And the first hearers would be thinking about that, they'd be thinking about how do we live in imperial Rome? Because that's the evil empire we're in now. So that's genre, hyperlinks. The New Testament writers use lots of connectors back to the Old Testament stories of creation, of God, of Israel. And they'll use lots of images that, that spark things for people. Now, we don't get that necessarily because we're not, we're not the people um, of the Old Testament. We, we don't kind of have that in our bones. So sometimes some of the images we need to think about, we need to know what they're, what they're referencing that the first hearers would have referenced automatically. And the final thing is language. Do I have the next slide, please? That's this morning's reading. It's the first two verses. That's the first two verses of this morning's reading. Okay, anybody want to come and read it? No, Luke will. So it's obviously, it's just the, the point is it's written in Greek. It's written 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away in a language you don't speak. So when we're dealing with scripture, we have to know in our own minds that that is what is happening. And to think about the English and the words that are chosen, we need to just be aware of that. So, we're going to have the actual reading now, Luke. Thank you. The reading is taken from Revelation chapter 2, verses 18 to 29. To the angel of the church in Thyatira write, these are the words of the Son of God, whose eyes are like blazing fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your deeds, your love and faith, your service and perseverance, and that you are now doing more than you did at first. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophet. By her teaching, she misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. I have given her time to repent of her immorality, but she is unwilling. So I will cast her on a bed of suffering, and I will make those who commit adultery with her suffer intensely unless they repent of her ways. I will strike her children dead. Then all the churches will know that I am he who searches hearts and minds, and I will repay each of you according to your deeds. Now I say to the rest of you in Thyatira, to you who do not hold to her teaching and have not learned Satan's so-called deep secrets, I will not impose any other burden on you except to hold on to what I have until I come. To the one who is victorious and does my will to the end, I will give authority over the nations. That one will rule them with an iron scepter and will dash them to pieces like pottery, just as I have received authority from my father. I will also give that one the morning star. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you, Luke. 
So I think we can safely ordain him priest next um, week with that lovely voice. It's like, it's like chocolate, isn't it? Melted chocolate. Um, okay, thank you, Luke. So, uh, having heard that reading, um, I bet you're wondering why they got a guest speaker in to do the talk. <laughs> so, what do we need to know about the context of the Church of Thyatira? It, Thyatira was a, a little out-of-the-way place, but it was very important to trade. It was on a major trade route. And it, it, if you wanted to trade there and work in commerce, you had to be in a guild. And if you were in a guild, you would take part in public worship in that guild, uh, guild meetings. There would be food offered to idols. There'd be feasts of that, of that food. And there would be worship of those idols. It'd be really difficult to avoid. There are an unusually large number of trade guilds in Thyatira, including purple cloth. So we think that Lydia of Acts fame might have come from there. The local god was Apollo, the sun god, and he was known as the son of Zeus. And Gnosticism, that's the idea of secret knowledge giving um, benefits to you, was uh, really common. It was quite rife. So that's, that's what's going on at Thyatira. I mentioned the hyperlinks, the cultural references that we might not uh, necessarily always spot. So I want to go through those quickly. Uh, verse by verse. So, um, Barry, if we can have verse 18 up again, I don't know if that's possible. There we go, great. So, Son of God is only used here in all seven letters. It's the only time it's used. It sets up a reference later on in verse 27 to Jesus the Messiah. Um, uh, it's a quote from Psalm 2. Son of God might be mentioned because, as I said, Apollo was known as the Zeus's son, he was the local deity, and here we're finding out that the actual son of God is Jesus. Fiery eyes might be again opposition to Apollo, the sun god, and feet of polished bronze, that was a particular kind of bronze that was made in Thyatira for the military, and maybe to do with Jesus being able to be mighty or ruling over all things. And finally, it recalls Peter's confession of Christ in Matthew 16, who do you say I am? You are the Son of God, the Messiah. The Messiah is the King, the Priest, the Lord, the Ruler, God's Chosen One, the Guy in Charge. Okay, verse 20, Barry. Okay. Thank you. Nevertheless, I have this against you. You tolerate that woman Jezebel, who is Jezebel. Well, Jezebel may or may not have been a single individual or may have been a group. We don't know. But that's a definite hyperlink back to Jezebel of the Old Testament. Jezebel in Old Testament um, 1 Kings 16 through to 2 Kings 9. She was married to King Ahab. The Bible tells us that King Ahab was the most evil king that had been up to that point. And he got even more evil when he married Jezebel. Uh, he got more and more into worshipping false gods. And throughout the Old Testament, people were warned not to, to, not to marry outside of Israel because they would be tempted into idol worship. And that's exactly what happened when Ahab married Jezebel. Jezebel organized the, kings, uh, the killing of God's prophets. And she had her own group of false prophets that she relied on. She threatened Elijah with death. She defrauded Naboth uh, out of his vineyard and then had him killed. She urged Ahab to greater and greater evil until she herself was finally killed. 
She calls herself a prophet. Jezebel called herself a prophet. The Old Testament prophets called Israel to keep the law and pointed out the consequences of breaking it. They weren't fortune tellers, so they weren't going to give you your lottery numbers. They weren't going to tell you who's going to win the 5.30 at Kempton or um, some Israeli racing track. If you don't know what Kempton is, why would you know what Kempton is? You don't bet. You're all lovely people. I'm going, going to go down a rabbit hole if I'm not careful there. Okay. So they weren't fortune tellers. They were inspired teachers of the law. They were saying, this is what God has called you to do. Do it. If you don't do it, there'll be consequences. But Jezebel led astray by ignoring those things, by ignoring that teaching about idols. And the New Testament prophets weren't fortune tellers either. But they were inspired teachers who, along with the apostles, inspired by the Holy Spirit, revealed the truth about Christ's teaching and his death and resurrection. So the issue in Thyatira is not wild prophecy. It's false teaching. So Jezebel is is not a wild-eyed prophetess. She's a false teacher. By her teaching... She misleads my servants into sexual immorality and the eating of food sacrificed to idols. Food sacrificed to idols was warned against by the Council of Jerusalem in Acts 15. We'll come on to that in a minute. Paul deals with with all of that in 1 Corinthians 8, the whole issue around food offered to idols. The Greek word here, translated in the NIV, sexual immorality, has another meaning. It, it, It means adultery or prostitution and in the Old Testament prostitution or adultery was how they talked about idolatry so in the book of Hosea Hosea marries a woman who becomes um, um, uh, an adulteress and he is his faithfulness to her is God's faithfulness to Israel and so when we hear when we're reading this verse maybe sexual immorality is involved but the big clue is this is about idolatry. It's about worshipping other things than God. Saying Israel had prostituted herself, was saying, saying she was unfaithful, that Israel was adulterous, was the prophet way of talking about idolatry. Verse 22. So I'll cast her in a bed of suffering. A bed of suffering is illness. So the idea is illness, a commonly understood consequence of sin. And that's, that's well known in the, in the New Testament church as well. In James chapter 5, it talks about the prayer of faith, making people well. It also includes confession of sins. Verse 24. Uh, Satan's so-called deep secrets. That's having a dig at the Gnostics who say you just need to know the deep teaching of the mysteries and that you'll be okay. And Satan was the deceiver right from the beginning. Did God say this? Is that true? What the thing you heard of, is it true? No other burden here is referenced to the Council of Jerusalem. So in the Council of Jerusalem, when the Gentiles were coming into the church, they said, you are to abstain from food sacrificed to idols, from blood, from the meat of strangled animals, and from sexual immorality. You will do well to avoid these things. So no other burden than that already placed on you at the Council of Jerusalem. Verse 26 and 27. So, this is authority over the nations. 
Jesus has all authority. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me, so I say to you, go. That's the Great Commission in Matthew. Philippians, Jesus has the name above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow, every tongue confess that he is Lord. The Messiah has authority over the nations. If you go on to verse 27, Messiah has authority over the nations in Psalm 2. It talks about the, the um, Messiah smashing the nations like pottery with an iron scepter. The reign of the Messiah involves the destruction of the nations. The nations aren't, aren't just other people who live in other countries who are quite innocent, and why would Jesus be smashing them up? The nations are standing in for the rebellion of humankind against God. So the other nations are the rebellious people against God. And that's why they get hit with the iron scepter. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is a theme that runs through this. The king is reigning and we will reign with him because we are found in him. Verse 28. The morning star is Jesus himself. And he is the king and it is his kingdom. So there are a few of the hyperlinks. So we're thinking Daniel, we're thinking evil empire, we're thinking how do we live in that, how do we faithfully live in that. We're thinking about Jezebel, so we're thinking about idolatry and false teaching. We're thinking about being in Christ and found in him and him destroying the rebellious nations and ultimately being Christ Pantocrator, the, 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 the ruler of all things. So what's the message, briefly? So the message to the, to the Thyatirans is this. God knows about you and is pleased with you. He's watching you with those fiery eyes. Jesus is watching you. He loves your charitable love. He loves your faith in him. He loves your service. He loves your unswerving endurance. He loves that you're getting better at all those things. But he also knows that you're putting up with false teaching. That false teaching is confusing you in your attempt to live faithfully in the culture and it's leading you into idolatry. That false teaching is at the extreme end of deception and the consequences are deadly. It's like the story of the, of the Jezebel in the Old Testament. It ends in the death of Jezebel. It's going to end in the same deadly way. So distance yourselves from it and just stick to what you know. But if you persevere, you will in Christ overcome the nations this is because christ has authority over the nations he is the king it's his kingdom he's the messiah right well if that's what that all meant to them what does it mean for us first of all we should recognize that false teaching is insidious it's not just about outward behavior idolatry is a state of mind and heart. If we can look at verse 23 again, uh, Barry, if that's possible. I am he who searches hearts and minds, or in the Greek, hearts and kidneys, because your hearts were, yeah, Albert's uh, amused by that. Uh, hearts were the seat of the will, but the kidneys were the seat of the emotions. Okay, so Jesus is not just looking at what you do, but he's looking into your heart and your mind. In this case, the false teaching was that it was okay to participate in guild feast and guild worship, which included food offered to idols. Now, they may have thought that. They may have thought it was okay. The three particular misunderstandings they might have had, had that led them to the conclusion, or led Jezebel to the conclusion, that it was okay. The three particular ways that might have happened. 
One is, they might have thought, it doesn't matter what goes into our bodies, what we do with our bodies, because our bodies don't matter, because our bodies are evil traps, and our beautiful, pure souls are immortal. So our bodies are going to be left behind, and our immortal, pure souls are going to live forever. Judeo-Christian understanding is that we are whole beings. The resurrection will be bodily. There's no separation of body and soul at the resurrection. You will be in physical bodies. They might have thought, well, we have God's grace and we'll always be forgiven. And so they acted under license. Whatever we do, it doesn't matter. We'll get forgiven. Um, we won't be suffering the consequences of playing fast and, fast and loose. Or they might have thought, thirdly, that we know the truth, that idols aren't real and the truth has set us free so we can join in. Because idols aren't real. We don't have time this morning to pursue all of those three things, you'll be glad to hear. But we're going to just look at the last one, look at idolatry. And what is the problem with it? What is the problem with idolatry in general? So idolatry is a word that runs all the way through the Old Testament. One way to look at it is this. I made the God, so I make the rules. So I've made a, a God out of wood, famously in Isaiah, or I've made a silver God, or I've made a God out of a bit of stone or something. And so I, I've made the God, so I can make the rules. And if I do something that the God doesn't like, it doesn't matter because it's only made out of wood. And so what I'm doing is I'm, I'm making my own rules for my own life. But human beings are made in the image of God, placed in creation to reflect God's image. That's what, that's what Genesis 1 tells us, that we were made in the image of God. And we're there to represent God's rule and reign to creation. And idolatry is about representing the rule and reign of something that isn't God. So the problem with idolatry is that it's everything that we live in. And it's everything we are as humans. It's the whole problem. In, in the earlier service, somebody um, gave a little word about from Romans 1. And we, if we, we haven't got time now, but if you look at Romans 1, it's all about people giving up the worship of God for idols and the consequences of that. Um, and that's Paul's kind of opening to the letter of Romans. It's, it's the setting up of what the problem is. The problem is the world, the flesh, and the devil are all idolatry. The world says, don't trust God. Trust other things. Reflect other things. Find yourself in other things. Things that aren't God, and that's idolatry. The flesh, our human nature, not our physical body, but our human nature, the flesh, says, be your own God. Do your own thing. Make your own rules. Don't submit. Don't work for someone else. Be your own king. Walk your own path. Don't submit to God. That's idolatry. Satan, the deceiver, the devil, says, did God say? You can be like God. You can have the world. Bow down to me. Worship me. That's idolatry. So we face the same choice as the Thyatirans every day. Compromise with our idols, compromise with ourselves and follow our idols. Believe the whispered words. False teaching comes in many guises, TV, books, films, adverts, conversation with your friends, social media. What are you valuing? What are you reflecting? What are you representing? 
The choice is to compromise with our idols or persevere with the simple things of love and faith and service. It's a choice. It's a choice. And it's not one that we always make correctly. Jesus says to the church in Thyatira, to the one who is victorious to the end, I will give victory and authority and myself. And I don't know about you, but being victorious to the end sounds like an impossible task. I'm, I'm 57 now. I, I don't feel like I've been all that victorious up to this point. I don't know if there's a, 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 it switches over at like 60 or something, the one or two people. Well, name anybody, Francis, but there might be one or two people who could tell you whether it gets better as you get older. How well are you doing holding that burning gaze? Are you looking at Jesus eye to eye? Or do you bow your head? Are you getting it right? Or are you getting it wrong sometimes? Let's not judge harshly the ones in Thyatira who didn't abstain, who got drawn in. Who's to say we wouldn't, and who's to say we don't? Romans 2 follows on from Romans 1. There's no chapter break in the Greek. Romans 2 says, You who judge others doing all these things, you do them yourself. The problem for the Thyatirans, for Jezebel and her children, was not that they compromised that they made the wrong choices. It was that they failed to repent. They forgot that the only way to be victorious to the end is to be found in the victor. To overcome is only possible by being in Christ. Found in him, living in him, suffering with him, rising with him, turning back to him, trusting in his forgiveness and his great mercy. We aren't going to keep persevering in faith, love and service without continually turning back and reminding ourselves that what we generate from ourselves is rubbish and yet what he gives us is everything. There is now no condemnation for those in Christ Jesus. Repentance and forgiveness was the key for the Thyatirans to overcome. It's the same key for us, to be found in Christ. That's something we need to remember, and something in a moment we're going to have a chance to do. We need, we all need, a reminder from time to time who we are. I don't know about you, but I can't stand in judgment on the Thyatirans. I, I can't point the finger at them and say, look what they did. They, they went to the wrong place and they did the wrong thing. Who, who's going to point that finger? We can't point that finger. I can't stand over here. I have to stand with them. I have to say, that's me. We all need a reminder from time to time who we are, our struggles with our own idols, our own desire to be king of our own lives, to worship the things we've made, to reflect the things that we find important that aren't of God. And we all need the chance to turn away and be assured of God's forgiveness in Christ. Now get the band down, please.
Thank you. So you see, when we read the letter, when we read the letter to Thyatira, there is a temptation, isn't there? To think they didn't know better and they weren't very good and they weren't very faithful and, oh, you know, Jesus got it, got it in for them because they didn't, you know, they didn't go with it. But we do that all the time. How can we not? So what we need to do is we need to turn away. We need to metanoia. We need to repent. And we need to walk back to him. We need to get on our knees. We need to say we're sorry. And we need to receive his forgiveness. And know that in him and his death and his resurrection that we will overcome because he overcomes so what we're going to do is we're going to, we're going to um, use a, a confession that the church has used for a long time. Words appear on the board, on the board, on the wall. So I don't know how you want to do this. My thought would be to stand, but if you want to come, if you want to, particularly if you want to come down the front or if you want to kneel or however you want to do it, let's do that now. So if you want to let's stand at least. Um, if you want to come out down the front, that's fine. If you want to kneel down where you, where you are or wherever, wherever you want to do. Uh, we're going to say these words. The words of the confession. There's two slides. And then we're going to say the absolution together. Okay. We say together. Father eternal, giver of light and grace, we have sinned against you and against our neighbor in what we have thought in what we have said and done. Through ignorance, through weakness, through our own deliberate fault, we have wounded your love and marred your image in us. We are sorry and ashamed and repent of all our sins for the sake of your Son, Jesus Christ, who died for us. Forgive us all that is past and lead us out from darkness to walk as children of light. Amen. And let's join together in saying the absolution. Almighty God, who forgives all who truly repent, have mercy upon us, pardon and deliver us from all our sins, confirm and strengthen us in all goodness, and keep us in life eternal, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.